You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I created this podcast along with everything I do at yourparentingmentor.com to support and inspire you to be the best parent you can be. I know for a fact and from experience that parenting was never meant to be done alone. From conception to preschool, my mission is to give you the tools, strategies, and knowledge to embrace and elevate your parenting experience. I'm dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and guiding you to nurture your child's immense potential with as much joy and ease as humanly possible. Make sure to take time to check out all of the resources I have gathered for you in the show notes, as well as on my website, yourparentingmentor.com. And be sure to get on my email list so you do not miss a single episode and other products and events I curate specifically for you. And please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback. A warm welcome to you and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today I have the lovely Dr. Tasha Brown to talk about all things psychology. Uh, And Tasha, I'm very excited to be having this conversation with you, so thank you so much for making the time to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to jump right into the conversation. Yeah. And so to jump right in, I always like to start with having my guests define What is the art of parenting for them? I love that question. And I think it's so relevant because I talk about parenting every single day in my clinical work. And one of the things that I emphasize to parents is that parenting looks so many different ways and can look like a variety of things depending on where you were raised, where you're raising your children, your views about parenting, your understanding of child development. There's so many things that play into parenting. And I like to describe and think about the art of parenting as when parents are able to think about what is important to them. So think about their values and what they want to bring to the parenting space and the type of people that they want to raise while applying it to their context and feeling comfortable with what it is that they're doing. So parenting in a way that feels comfortable and right for them as parents and right for who they are raising for their children. Yes, beautiful. I mean, so much about examining what we want value-wise, like the values that we want to pass on to our children. Beautiful. Thank you for that. And before we get uh, too involved in our conversation, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Yeah. um, So I am a licensed clinical psychologist and I work primarily with children between the ages of three to 13. And I do see adolescents and some young adults, but my sweet spot is really those younger children. And with that work comes a lot of parenting work. I, I, I love to say that when you do work with younger children, you're not just working with an individual, you're working with a family because Most all young children come with adults um, who are very 
important and play important roles. And so a lot of my work is focused on making sure that parents have the tools to help navigate their children's mental health concerns and while also equipping children with the skills that they need to navigate the world. And I kind of came into this work. I always tell this story. When I was a teenager, there was a, a family that came to my church And one of the children in the family was really struggling with behavior. And I didn't even know what a psychologist was. I had no idea like what would get me to work with a child like this. But I remember saying, when I get older, I want to work with kids who have like behavioral concerns like that and families that are struggling in this way. And I didn't know what that was or what that could look like. Um, But that's kind of where the first like ah, light bulb area came on in terms of like psychology and doing this type of work with families. Beautiful, a, tr- a true calling for you to be able to to feel that so so young in 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 your life. That's beautiful. That's great. So one one question I have about just you know seeing a psychologist, seeing a therapist, and and I'm asking this kind of because I I work with parents individually and sometimes. You know, I'm not a psychologist, and I, I and I and I can see that the parents are struggling with understanding their children, with maybe helping them kind of self-regulate and so forth. And I never know, like, when is it a good time to suggest that they see a therapist, right? I mean, I I I've seen many therapists. I think they're they're amazing. I've you know gotten so much out of it, learned so much about myself, but. Sometimes that can be like, there can be a stigma to that. And when when can we truly know that it would be a good idea? Yeah, I love that question because parents ask me that all the time. Like they call and they say, okay, like when am I supposed to, when do I know that it's time? I have a couple of indicators that I have people think about. Number one, if whatever is happening is causing significant impairment in your child's life, I think that is an indicator that it's time to go. So for example, if your child is so anxious that they are having a hard time getting through tests or talking to people or engaging socially with their peers to the point where they're becoming socially isolated or they're wanting to stay home all the time and it's getting in the way of their everyday functioning, that may be an indicator of like, ah, okay, maybe it's time to reach out to someone and get some support. Same thing if their behavior or if their social concerns, or if their mood is getting in the way of them living through their everyday life in a way that's fulfilling for them, it may be time to get some some support. I also think if parents, sometimes children are doing really well, and um, they're not having significant impairment, but the parents themselves are having a hard time navigating parenting and um, the stress of parenting is starting to have a toll on their mood, their relationships with others, their relationship with their child. It may be important to seek support from a mental health professional to get some tools on, on navigating some of those things. 
And then if a child is uh, having significant changes in life, so if there's going to be a big change in the family, a divorce, a birth of a new sibling, um, a death in some way, or there's been some trauma, those are all like major pinpoints in life where getting some support may be helpful. Okay. Because I sometimes I guess I feel that there's just normal challenges of human development, yes, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and it's like, you know, it's 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 almost like when is that tipping point? So you you've explained that well. It's like it's really about, you know, having an impairment about just living living their life. What about like a, a young child who is kind of having these ongoing maybe behavioral issues at school where they they tend to be a little aggressive or things like that. And, and I'm talking here, you know, pretty young, like a four or five year old. Do we just let that be and 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 you know give the parents some tools, or is that a time to also come in and see a professional? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I definitely think it's important to get some tools <laughs> as much as possible. And and getting tools can look so different depending on what what is occurring. So it may not be this child is having behavioral concerns, like sound all the alarms. We need all mental health professionals on deck. It may be as simple as the teacher making some adjustments in the classroom setting for that child. Or it may mean the teacher and the parents thinking together and maybe some adjustments at home and some adjustments with in the classroom. Or on another level, it may mean, you know what, we need all hands on deck and the child needs to come in and we start working on some emotional regulation tools. You're absolutely right when we talk about like for children and behavioral concerns especially, developmentally, we expect young children to have some difficulties, and I'm using my quotation fingers here, where um, we expect young children to have some difficulties with behavior. There is, it's normal and developmentally appropriate for um, sometimes for a child not to listen or to have difficulties following instructions. I kind of go back to this idea of if it's causing significant impairment. So if the aggression in the classroom is happening every day, several times a day, um, the child is not able to engage with their peers or they're having to get sent home often or they're calling parents to come to the classroom. Like those are those are when I start to think, okay, we need to get some additional support here. Um, anything uh, that's not causing significant impairment, I, I always encourage teachers and caregivers at home to start to think about what are some tweaks that can be made that will help to support that child's individual needs? Okay, perfect. So we're on the same page. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> that's kind of what, what I was sharing. I actually had a call with a client this morning and it was kind of this conversation. And and for me, it was just, you know, it was just sounding more like that this child needed more connected time with with their parents and you know and it's and it's hard when both parents are working full time and and so forth but but like you say it's it's little tweaks sometimes because for me it's it's a time that's not going to last forever but it is such an important time 
in our children's development. Yeah. And I love that you talked about they just need a little bit more time. Actually, always. When I work with young children, one of the first things that I always talk about is special time, which is parents and caregivers thinking about five minutes a day where you can carve out and spend time in play with your child with the focus of that time being to build up that parent-child, caregiver-child attachment relationship. Because all the work that we do moving forward is really What's really foundational to that is the relationship and the work that we do and that the parents do within that play situation, within those those pockets of time that they're intentionally spending with their child daily. Love that. And I love the word intentional. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. That is so, so important because it's true. We're we're doing things with our children, you know, all day long. But that that really that moment of, you know, connection and being really intentional about just filling up their cup, right? Yes, yes. That's what's so important. Um, I noticed in your in your bio that you, that you sent over, you talk about having this program called parent management training. I'd love to know a little bit more about that. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when we talk about parent management training, we're really talking about parent management training is like an umbrella. Um, and under that are like different types of treatment. So there's Um, parent-child interaction therapy, another program called Incredible Years, and the list can go on and on and on. I primarily do a program called Parent-Child Interaction Therapy, which I can talk a little bit about. But when we talk about parent management training, um, what we're really talking about is giving parents the tools that they need to help navigate or help their child to navigate whatever's happening at home. I always say this to parents that it is beautiful if you bring your child to see me every single week. I will sit in the office with the child 45 minutes. We'll have a great time. We'll play. We'll do arts activities. We'll talk about all these great coping strategies. But what ends up happening is the child leaves and the parent for the rest of the week, for the rest of the time, is out there dealing with the behaviors that the the child is coming in with. And so the idea of parent management training is instead of equipping the child only with the skills is the therapist or the mental health professional really gives the parent as many skills as possible. So for instance, in parent-child interaction therapy, we work with children who have significant disruptive behavior. So these are the children who like we talked about a little bit earlier, they're having some difficulties in the classroom setting with their behavior, but it's causing significant impairment. So they're getting sent home every day. Preschools are asking them not to come back. It's causing a lot of of concern. What we do is that we teach parents skills, number one, on how to build up the parent-child attachment relationship. We teach things like labeled praises. We think about thinking about differential attention. So how to identify how to give your child attention and what types of attention to give your child, depending on what their behavior is. And then we talk about discipline and redirecting behavior through the use of like a timeout procedure and other skills that parents can use to help navigate some of the difficult behaviors. And it's really focused on giving the parent all the skills so that they can become therapists and mental health care providers for their own children at home throughout the, the times when they're not with an actual therapist. 
So, so right. So you're, you're helping them have those tools that you're using in your office to kind of be able to have the same at home. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Any like your go-to tools or, or skill that you, you kind of always share with the parents that, that you could share with our listeners today? Ooh, I love that question. So I already shared one, which is special time. So if you can carve out those five minutes a day where your child is in the lead and you are intentional about just spending undivided, uninterrupted time with your child, like that can be golden. And then uh, I love talking about praise and the power of uh, uh, labeled intentional types of praises. So when we think about praises, and I know there's lots of conversation about like if praise is good for children and if it's not, but when we think about praise, we know that there are two types of praises. So there's these, I like to call them like unlabeled praises where we're like, oh, good. That's great. Nice. Good job. Um, good job. And they're they're nice, I guess, but they don't really have a lot of meaning. When we can be intentional about praise. So you did such an amazing job getting ready for school this morning. I love how much detail you're putting into your work. You are such a big part of this family and we love having you. When you're able to be really specific about your praises to your child, it does so many things. So it helps to increase their self-esteem. It helps to make that parent-child attachment even more secure because who doesn't love those really nice big label praises and just feeling good in that way? It also helps from a behavioral perspective. We know that the more attention we give to certain behaviors, the more we see those behaviors, even if it's negative attention. Um, And so when we think about providing positive attention, praise to behaviors that we want to continue to see of our for children. So amazing job focusing. Thank you for all the detail you're putting in. When we're able to point out those things through praise, it helps to increase some of those behaviors. So praise is a big one that I like to to talk about. Yes. And, and I love how you redefine praise because it's true that there is, you know, this conversation about just, you know, blankly praising our children of all this good job where that is kind of, for me, it's just, you know, teaching children that they only matter if they have that external praise but but this what you're what you're saying is it's really about helping them see you know within like that it's 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 really qualities that they have i love that yes and i always emphasize that to parents I, i say think about your child's characteristics, the things that make them who they are. Um, And that's going to vary from child to child. And through your praise and pointing that out, your child starts to feel proud of those characteristics and also starts to be able to recognize like, oh yeah, I am detailed. I am a a good listener. Um, They're able to point out and, and own those characteristics and try them on for themselves when other people around them, especially their parent, their caregiver, is the one pointing it out to them. Right, right. Yeah, I love that. Now, you you mentioned one thing in the when you were talking about tools and, and skills that I kind of had a little uh, <laughs> signal in me when you said time out. So, so, you know, I come from a background of time out, like the, the punitive time out is, is never a good idea. 
and and yet you 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 use that term. So I would love if you could unpack that and 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 explain maybe what you meant by that. Yeah, I love that question too because my parents asked me that. In uh, so in um parent child interaction therapy. Um, where we talk about children who are having significant externalizing behavior problems, there's two phases of treatment. The first phase is really focused on that attachment building, building and changing and thinking about behavioral um, strategies to help with the child's behavior through the use of positive skills and positive attention. And the second phase, because these children are clinically having a hard time with listening and following directions. We really talk about ways to help the child understand that there are certain instances where it's really important for them to listen and to listen right away. And we're not talking about every day because this idea that kids just need to be overly compliant um, we can have like a conversation for days about this, but these are things where safety is really important or where for the well-being of the family or to like help things move along, it's important that the child listens right away. And the way that we teach that is through number one, teaching parents how to give appropriate um, request or make appropriate requests of their children. A lot of times parents will say, I'm, you're not, my child has never listens or they're having such a hard time listening. And when we peel it back and I talk with them about, okay, well, how are you asking them to do something? How are you telling them to do something? We find out that there is a lot of difficulty with how the parent is phrasing and, and making requests of their children. So we spend a lot of time talking about appropriate ways or more developmentally appropriate ways or ways based on your child's personality or characteristics to make requests or to ask your child to do something or to give commands, depending on what it is. So we spend a lot of time there and a lot of time like practicing and helping the child to understand when their parent is making a request or asking them or telling them to do something. And then as a consequence for not listening or non-compliance, we talk a lot with parents about, and people have different names for it, time out, cool down. We talk about a way for children to have a space and a time where they can remove themselves from the situation. They're not really being removed from attention because parents are still fully there in the room and the expectations are known for the child where they can regulate if they need to, where parents can regulate and then come back and rejoin. And by rejoining, I mean like completing the request that is told. So when when I talk about timeout or cool down time or um, space with parents, I'm really talking about being intentional from the beginning about how you're requesting and making requests for children and then also making it clear to the child what's going to happen and then short removals from a space and then reconnection and rejoining immediately. And I also like to know, I only talk about this um, with parents whose children are having significant behavioral difficulties that are getting in the way of them moving throughout their day. So if parents are coming in and they're saying, yeah, they're not listening or following directions and it's what I would expect of a child their age, I'm not having a conversation 
about like timeout or cool down spaces with those parents. I'm really talking about it when there's a lot of emotional dysregulation, a lot of noncompliance that's getting in the way of everyday functioning. Okay. So so it does sound more like what I like to think of as a positive timeout, right? Because I, I think like timeout itself, you know, quote unquote is is has always been kind of used more as a as a punitive and and I just I just always it just always hurts my heart when when I hear parents you know say you're in timeout in in a in a kind of in a mean way because it's really for me the message is like you're you're a bad person you need to like be be taken away and so that's what that's why I needed <laughs> I needed clarification from you as to what you meant so I love that it's you know the cool out or it's just the the kind of tuning in and 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 helping our children self-regulate because to me that's a big part of it it's beautiful yeah and and one of the things when when I talk about like timeout or cool down space one of the things that I love to stress is that we never want to make I think any type of discipline or consequence, like a surprise for children, that's not, I don't think that's fair. All of a sudden, like you do something and then like there's this huge consequence, whether it be your electronics are taken away or you can't go to your play date or um, you have time out. Like, I think that it's important for parents to be very clear with their children about the expectation. And if there is an expectation and that is not followed through with what the consequence for that is. So it's never this unfair uh, surprise. And for parents to to really think about who their child is, how old their child is, the just the core of their child before thinking about these consequences so that you're being mindful about how you're engaging with your child in that way. Yeah. And, and actually that was, you, you, you brought that up about what age there were. So for me, like that is, you know, there's, there's just developmentally, there's, there's certain, you know, times in our lives where we can't expect much of children. What, what is your like age where we can, maybe parents can start having kind of those expectations? Um, That's a great question. I think when we think about preschoolers and kindergartners too, I, I love to think about like, they're still in the learning phase, especially depending on what type of setting that you have them in. And so I think expectations for compliance that's happening all the time, um, that's going to vary from child to child. But I think when, when you get into that late preschool, late kindergarten age, like that's when we can start to see those skills emerging more. And that's when you can start to have conversations with your child about, and conversations in a way that you will expect your child to be able to engage with you about consequences and their their ideas about that. I do talk with parents about like starting to set expectations very early, but in your setting your expectations, being realistic about what your child will be able to do and how your child is going to respond to those expectations, depending on their age or their developmental level, their maturity, their speech, how they engage with others, like all those things are going to play into that. Yeah. So yeah, that's about right. Like five, five or six, we can start having expectations. But again, it depends on the individual and their, their timeline. But 
yeah, thank you for that. Because I know sometimes, you know, I get parents asking me about, you know, they're, they're two and a half or they're three year old. And I'm like, there, <laughs> there's not, for me, at least, there's not much that we can do at this stage. I feel like children before, like before four, they're just being led by this life force. And it's more about us, like you say, kind of putting, training them a little bit, but not having those expectations, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I always say set the expectation, but also manage your own expectations about what's going to happen. So if you're going to teach your two-year-old things, like if you want your two, if you're trying to teach your two-year-old um, when you eat, you're going to sit at this table and like that's really important for you as a parent, you can start laying that foundation. But from a developmental perspective, you need to be prepared for the fact that your two-year-old is going to probably get up a few times, wander around. And that does not mean that your child has listening or behavioral problems. It just means that your child is too. Um, and they're still exploring and still trying to figure out the world. Right. Beautiful. I'd love if we could just switch a little bit, uh, because I, I noticed that you also like to help kind of young adolescents. You said you you like to work with 13-year-old. And and I know you you were you mentioned in your bio kind of uh, preventing depression in adolescent girls. And I know that unfortunately it's it's on the rise in this country. There's, you know, quite a bit of different elements, you know, maybe social media, our digital world, all of that. How can a parent who is listening, who might have a daughter, you know, maybe not yet in adolescent, but kind of concern about that trend, what can we do as parents to maybe prevent that or just be on the lookout of some signs? Mm -hmm. I love that question. Um, I think there's a few things to think about. One of the things is equipping children with emotional vocabulary. This is so important because when it comes to helping uh, when it comes to children and adolescents sharing how they're feeling with their parents, with their caregivers, with their other adults, one of the things that I see a lot is that they just don't have the emotional vocabulary. So they may be feeling really sad, depressed, down, but they just don't have the words to explain that in a therapeutic setting or with their caregivers. And so one of the biggest things that you can do for your child is start to label emotional emotions and feelings as soon as you can, um, especially as your child is in that preteen age. So you look really frustrated right now because your math homework is hard, or you seem so excited that we're going to your soccer game, or you as a parent can label your, your feelings. I'm really nervous about a presentation that I have at work today. You're starting to put this emotional vocabulary so that in the um, instance where your child may be feeling down or they're having a situation that they want to speak to you about, there's some vocabulary there that you can help them to understand. Number two, we really want to think about um, behavioral activation. So we t I talk with parents a lot about there's a spectrum. There's some parents whose children are like way, way, way overly scheduled. And then there's some who people who like have their kids and like nothing. And, and I know that depends on a wide variety of things, but you want to keep your child engaged in the family, in their environment, in their community as much as possible. 
The research is so clear about this is that when children have what we call protective factors, it decreases their likelihood of anxiety and depression as adolescents. And a protective factor could be an after-school program, um, swimming, engagement in a church or some other religious entity within their community. It can be uh, a cooking class. And your child doesn't need to be in a million of those things. But if you can think about getting your child hooked up with what is a protective factor outside of the family, that can be extremely helpful and important. Spending time with your child, like we talked about before, is also a very good indicator of really helping to mitigate some of the symptoms of depression and anxiety for children, as well as helping your children to be able to talk through difficult scenarios. So if a difficult scenario happens at school or at home, having a debrief, (laughs) I like to call it, with your child from a young age, hey, this happened today. What were you thinking? What were you feeling? What is something that else that we could have done for this? So that way you're starting to instill some some coping strategies and, and helping your child to be able to brainstorm different ways of navigating things. Because I think as adults, we take that for granted that a lot of us have that option of saying like, hey, okay, I could have done this differently. Children are not born with that. Um, And it's unfair for us to say like, well, they should have just thought about this in a different way. We have to teach children how to do that. And so starting that process from an early time. Yeah, I love that. And 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 just modeling it, right? Like you were saying, just, you know, the vocabulary, but also just modeling how we're handling a situation. I, and I say this because I, I know parents often complain to me about, you know, they ask their children, what did you do at school today? And the child is like, oh, nothing, or I played, or, you know, they're not very. And I say, well, just model it. Tell yours, tell what you did today, you know, talk about the, the, silly conversation you had or the tough meeting you had or whatever so that we're 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 having those conversations yeah Um, love that that. yeah thank you for that Uh, now now a more personal question now are you a parent yourself no I'm not I work with children every day but I'm not a parent okay you're you're a parent to many you're (laughs) a parent to many uh no because I ask because I, I I I always kind of um wrap up with with a personal question about kind of wise words that you would have told yourself, you know, when you were expecting. So let's change this and and kind of what wise words would you want families or parents to tell themselves maybe on a daily about being the best parent that they can be? Like, I, I just feel like parents need encouragement, need support. Uh, need some love and and compassion. Uh, so, and you know, from your from your expertise, like, what are some words of wisdom that you could share with with our listeners? 
Yeah, one of the things I always tell parents is to be patient with themselves and to give themselves a little bit of understanding. It's so easy to beat yourself up for lots of things like, oh, I should have known that my child had to be enrolled in this or like, why is my child doing this and my and other people's children are not? Or why am I feeling so frustrated? Or why am I having a hard time with these aspects of parenting? And I always encourage parents to give themselves a little grace, to give themselves a little patience. You are learning yourself and how you are as a parent as time goes on, just like you're learning your child. And that's going to change over time. And the more intentional you are about um, connecting to yourself and who you are as a parent and what you bring to the parent as, as the table as a parent, and the more intentional you are about connecting with the child, the pieces will just start to, to fit together. So be patient and give yourself a little bit of grace in those really hard moments because you're doing a really great job. Yeah, well, thank you for that, Dr. Tasha. That's, I think that's uh, hopefully everybody can hear that loud and clear. So thank you so much. And, and thank you for, for your time and wisdom and all the beautiful work that you do with families. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.